Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. There really is something amazing about that, that time of year when the whole world stops and recognizes the risen king and, and, and remind ourselves that, that we serve a, a, a king who, who died in our place so that he, we could be resurrected to newness of life in him and with him and um, so that, that's just an amazing time. Everybody have a good Easter? Yeah, yeah a good time with family. And yeah, it's, it's, uh, it really is incredible just to think about that, to think that, like, that he looks down on us and that he thought your life was worth the life of his son. Like we hear that word, you know, for God so loved the world. And so it's easy to think, well, of course, God would trade one for many. But the, the truth of the matter is, is you mattered enough that he would send his son for you. Like, you take that out of the context of everybody and, and bring that down to just you and just realize that, like, he thought your life was worth the life of his son. He thought that there was something in you that was worth redeeming. So he sent his son so that you could be free from what kept you from being who he created you to be so that you could step into who you were always meant to be and become who you were meant to be from the beginning before sin came and ruined everything. And that, that, that he would come and, and that Jesus would actually come as a man. And that he would, he would lay aside his deity, not thinking equality with God, something to be grasped. And he would come and he would make himself for a time even lower than the angels. And live and walk as a man here on earth. And live a perfect sinless life. And then, and then take my sin and your sin and allow that to be put upon him. And be nailed to a cross in our place. Take all of our guilt, all of our shame, all the judgment that was due to us, everything that we deserved, he took it upon himself, deserving none of it, so that we could have everything that he deserved, even though we deserved none of it. That's pretty incredible. Amen. That takes faith to believe. That's better than you could come up with on your own. If we made up a gospel, it would probably have a lot of us working to, to receive the things that Jesus came and died for us to receive freely. But freely you've received, received now freely you give. Yeah, you can tell that the gospel can't be made up, and that's why it takes faith to believe it, because it's so much better than what we would have made up on our own had we been the ones in charge of writing the story. Like, we would have made it, you know, this quest. And you know the crazy thing about it is, is that if we did that, people would probably try to do whatever the quest was you laid in front of them. It's like faith is so easy to believe that a child can understand it and receive it. He said you have to receive it like a child. A child understands, I didn't do anything to deserve this, I just get this because mom and dad love me. But if I said to you, like, hey, the, the secret to eternal life is you have to make tea from the feather of an eagle that lives on a mountain in a certain country, like, you'd go there and climb the mountain, kill the eagle, make the tea, and drink it. But it's Jesus saying, those who believe in me, though they die, they shall never die. That if they would put their faith and their trust in me, though they sleep, they'll never die, they'll live eternally. That if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, that we'd be saved. Like, it's so simple. We want to complicate it and make it something it was never meant to be. We want to work and we want to earn it. We want to do something to say, look what I did. This is why I can say. But Jesus is on the cross saying, listen, it's finished. Amen. I did it all. Amen. The only thing left for you to do now is to actually believe. Yeah. That's what he's saying to the guy when the guy said, he bring, they bring his son to him and the disciples can't cast out the demons and they... They come, Jesus comes to him, and he says, uh, I brought my son to your disciples, and they tried to heal him. They couldn't heal him. And he says, if you're able, and Jesus looks at him and says, if, you're, if, if I'm able, if you're able. No, if you believe, all things are possible to him that believes. It's simple. 
really is. Um, if you, it, Zach almost preached my, my message this morning. Uh, he started on Mark 4, and I was like thinking, oh, well, there's not much left for me to do but get up and say amen if he keeps going, but, but he stopped in time. So, um, but uh, I, I do want to speak out of Mark 4 a little bit and just talk about that. Um, but also, there's something I wanted to share, and that was this, is that I, I feel like right now it's very easy for people to look at things and believe them to be hopeless. Like we look at situations, we look at people, and we say they'll never change, this will never change, things will never change. And, and, and the enemy's done a great job of getting us to accept the idea of hopelessness. And I just want to tell you, like never allow yourself to believe that anyone or any situation is hopeless. Never let that into your thinking. Never let the, Listen, God didn't need a whole lot to create humanity. He took dirt and he breathed on it. That, that person, that thing, that situation that you think is hopeless, it just needs the breath of God. Yeah. And it can stand up and come to life and be what he intended Amen. it to be. He takes dirt and he forms. You know what dirt is? That topsoil is the decomposition of things that were once dead. He takes what is left when things die. And he forms humanity out of that and he breathes into it and a living being comes up. Nothing is too far dead for God to breathe into and to see life come. I promise you. Like everything else he speaks. Why? Well, if he only spoke things, then we would say, well, you know, he just speaks this, he speaks that. But it's his breath that actually brings life to people. It's the breath of God. It's the spirit of God. That word pneuma is the breath of God. The ruach, the breath of God is what brought life to humanity. And, and so God takes what happens when things die. So a bunch of things lived, a bunch of things sprouted. They maybe had flowers. They maybe bore fruit for a season. It looked beautiful. It provided shade, whatever the case was. But eventually it dies and it decomposes. And God takes that, what's left after everything dies. He gathers it up and he breathes on it and life happens. A promise, that situation, that person is not too far gone for him to breathe life into. Don't allow yourself to believe them to be hopeless. Because here's the problem. Once you accept hopelessness for somebody else, you'll accept hopelessness for yourself at some point. Because to say something or someone is hopeless is to say they're outside of God's care or God's ability. And if you accept that for another, eventually you'll make a way for that same thing to be accepted in your own life about yourself. Be really careful what you believe about others because eventually you might find yourself believing it about you. That's how things sneak in sometimes. It's innocent, you know? It's like this thing where we would never say that anything is hopeless in our own life because of God and because of the promises, but we look at something else or someone else and we judge that thing, that person, to be hopeless. And suddenly there's a seed inside of us that starts reproducing after its own kind because every seed reproduces after its own kind. And that seed of hopelessness that we allowed to be sown into our heart when we believed it for somebody else now has a place and it has a voice. And sooner or later, what we only believe for others, we'll find ourselves believing about ourselves. And we'll start to feel hopeless in our own situations. And it started because we believed someone or something else was hopeless. Don't let that happen. There's no one, there's no thing that's outside of his concern or his ability to change. Nothing. He said it. Is anything too big for God? Is anything too big for God? That's a rhetorical question. Nothing's too big. Just don't let it happen. I know we live in a society right now that wants to judge things as hopeless that wants to turn its back on things and say that it'll never change. I promise you, if he can breathe into dirt and humanity can come forward, there's not a whole lot that his breath can't accomplish when he breathes on something. And you know the amazing thing about that is sometimes he entrusts that breath to us because he said that Christ in you is the hope of glory. 
He put his spirit, he put that same pneuma, that same ruah, the breath of God. He breathed that inside of every single one of us when we became born again, and the spirit of God came to live inside of us. And sometimes he uses us to be the one that breathes on something or someone. He wants to use you. That Listen, he can use anything. He used a donkey. He spoke through a donkey. Why wouldn't you believe he could speak through you? Sometimes it might be easier for him to speak through a donkey because a donkey doesn't have a theology that says God can't do that. You know, when he told the donkey to speak, the donkey probably didn't have a dialogue where he took him to his word and proved why he couldn't do that. He probably just did it. Our theology should be at least as good as the donkey's. Now, just think about that for a second. Sometimes it's easier for God to do something like that because the donkey doesn't have this theology that says God can't do that. The donkey's not arguing scripture about why that's not for today. The donkey just hears God and does what he says. If he could do that through a donkey, I promise he could do it through you. If he could put his word inside the mouth of an animal, he could put his word inside the mouth of the one whose spirit lives inside us. Maybe his word's already in you. Maybe it's more a case of us opening our mouths and letting it out than it is him putting it in. Mark chapter 4, you there? Almost. I think I'm there. On that day when evening came, he said to them, who is he in them? Jesus, saying to his disciples, we give context to this, He's been preaching, he's been speaking, he gives the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, he heals, he casts out demons, he performs these amazing miracles. Just prior to getting in the boat, the centurion comes to him with his, with his, and says, my servant is, is sick and, and needs to be healed. And Jesus says, I'll come to your house. And the centurion says, no, 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 you don't have to come to my house. I, I understand how these things work. I'm, I too am a man under authority and I speak in this one. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And I say to that one, come, and he comes. If you just say the word, I know that my servant will be healed. And Jesus stops and looks and in front of everybody is, marvels at it and says, I've not seen this great faith in all of Israel. He says, I, I haven't seen this. He says, truly I say to you, I've not found such great faith within anyone in Israel. He's saying, listen, of anyone that I've encountered so far in my ministry, no one's had faith like that because you believe that it's just my word that's necessary. I offer to come to your house and you say, you don't even, I don't need you to come, Lord. You just speak. He understands it's the word of God that matters, that carries the weight. It's not even who's speaking it so much as where it originated from. His word in your mouth is just as powerful as his word in his mouth because it's his word that matters. That's what's important is who said it. Where did it come from? If it came from him, it's his word. And every word that he speaks will not return to him void without accomplishing that which he sent it forth to accomplish. So it's the origin of the word that matters. And and this man understands that. He says, listen, I don't need you to physically come to my house. You just speak. And I know that my servant will be healed. And Jesus stops and says, I haven't seen faith like that in all of Israel. I haven't seen anyone that says, all you have to do is speak. So just after that, when the evening came, he said to them, the disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and the sea, hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? 
They became very much afraid and said to one another, who, is the, who then is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you're the same God that the wind and sea still obey. Jesus, I thank you that, that you live inside of us. I thank you that, that you've made us through your blood a temple that is holy, that your spirit can dwell in. And God, I ask today is that as I speak, the same spirit would open our ears to hear and our minds to understand that we have the mind of Christ, that, that you're not hiding these things from us, God. You're, you're hiding things for us, that you long to be discovered. And Father, that our hearts would be good soil, that the seed of your word would enter into the soil of our hearts, God, and it would produce fruit. God, that a world that doesn't know you would taste the fruit of our lives that you're producing in us and see your goodness. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so Jesus is with the disciples. He's performing these miracles, and now they're standing in one place, and they need to go to another place. And he says to them, let's go to the other side. And so they go, and they get into boats, and they take off, and they start going to their side, and a storm comes. And all of a sudden, they have a choice. They have a choice. Because why are they in the middle of the, of, the, of the sea anyways? Because he spoke. How many of you guys know that it's easy to start something when you hear his voice? Like, it's super easy when you hear Jesus saying, hey, let's go to the other side. There's no storm. The water's calm. There's a boat there. This is easy. And you know what? The truth of the matter is, is they were fishermen, a lot of them, so they could get in a boat and get to the other side in a boat in their own ability. Here's the problem, though. If you don't stop there and acknowledge that I'm not doing this in my own strength, I'm doing this because the Lord spoke to me, when you get into a situation where your own strength can't get you out of it, you're left with nothing. You have in the middle what you started with. Why don't you start in faith and say, God, I'm only getting in this boat and going across because you said, not because I know boats and I know how to sail. Because the problem is, is whatever you put your faith in when you're next to the shore, when it could be okay. Like, think about this. What happens if a storm comes when you're four feet off the shore? Nothing. Even if the boat capsizes, you stand in the water and you walk back to shore. Not a big deal. It doesn't require a lot of faith and trust. The problem is what you're trusting when you leave the shore is what you'll be trusting when you're in the middle. And if you put your trust in yourself when you're capable of saving yourself, the problem arises when you're in a situation where you're not capable of saving yourself. Then who do you trust? See, we, every, we all think that we'll trust him in the big things, but he's looking for us to be faithful with the little so that he can put us in the big things and trust that we'll actually do what we did in the little. Everybody thinks, well, if I had this much, I would give. If I had this talent, I would go. I would play. I would sing. I would do. If I could do this like them, then I would. What if you started where you are and trusted that he would take you where he wants to take you rather than waiting till you get somewhere to actually start being obedient with what you have? What if what you do four feet from shore is what you'll do in the middle? See, when you're just a few feet offshore and Jesus is laying down sleeping and you hear his word that says, let's go to the other side, you could fix yourself in faith and say, he said, let's go to the other side. Then he went to sleep. I'm going to trust that if he said we're going to the other side, we're going to the other side. I'm going to go to sleep with him. And Jesus speaks this to them, and I think there's this expectation that they're going to put faith in what he said. 
because they just saw an example where a man said to him, I don't need you to come. I don't need you to prove anything. I just need to hear your voice. You just speak and it'll be done. Coming straight off of that, Jesus looks at his disciples, the ones who actually do know him, the ones who have been walking with him, the ones who have saw him perform all these great miracles, the ones whom he's given his authority to, and he says to them, hey, let's go to the other side. I think there's an expectation when God speaks to us that we put our faith in what he said. Because every time he says something, not only is the, is, is, do we have direction, but we also have the ability contained within that. You think about it. When he speaks, something is created. And it's not just created for a moment, everything that it needs. When he says, let there be light, there's light in an instant. But within that light is all the energy it will ever need to provide all the light it will ever provide. He doesn't have to keep speaking, let there be light, over and over and over again. Because within that one word, is the ability to do everything that is asked of it for as long as it's asked. Sometimes we think we need another word when all we need to do is actually believe the first one we got. Because within that word, when he tells Wayman to go to another country, within that word is not only the direction of where to go, it's the promise that the way to go will be there. And it's not up for him to figure anything out other than to be obedient and do what he's called him to do. And so even if it's the day before the trip and it's the way to get there isn't there, it's still not time to panic and go to him and ask him if he doesn't care. See, the disciples reveal their own hearts and they actually reveal the problem with the question they ask him. They wake him up and they say, don't you care that we're going to die? Two, two, two problems here. One, I've lost sight of the fact that he actually cares more about me getting to the other side than I do. Something I should probably ask myself whenever I get into a situation where I want to start panicking and doubting and, and accusing is, if I really believed he loved me, could I feel this way? Because in, the only way he doesn't care about them perishing is if he doesn't love them. So there's either one of two things. Either he doesn't care or they're not going to die. So if he loves me and I'm doing what he called me to do, then I should probably believe that not only does he care, but I'm not going to die because the word was, let's go to the other side, not let's go to the middle and drown. Sometimes we just need to back up and return back to why am I doing what I'm doing? What's the re why am I in the middle? If they would have just stopped for a second in the middle of the storm and they would have just asked themselves, wait a minute, how did I get here? I ask myself that with the church sometimes. And I look out and both services are overflowed and, 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 and I don't think we can do a third service right now and, and, and we don't have the money to build our new building. And even if we had it today, we wouldn't be in it for a year. And I'm like, I, I want to panic and I want to go to him and be like, God, don't you care? Literally. But I have to stop and say, wait a minute, how did we get here? We got here by following his voice and because he's led us to this place. And not only does he love me, he loves every one of the people that he's sending to this church. So if I remember his love for me and I remember how I got there, it's pretty hard for me to accuse him of not caring. And I can start trusting him and just saying, okay, Lord, all I know is this is what you've told us. So all I'm going to do is what you've told us to do. And I trust you with the part that I don't understand. But if we built this thing and started this church on our own strength, not acknowledging him, when you get to a place that you don't have the ability to figure out, then it's time to panic because you got you there, not him. That's what, when, when I first got asked to pastor the church, I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't. 
I, 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 I was a partner in a business that I loved being a partner in, and I got up every day and loved going to work. I loved what I did. I loved who I did it with, and I wasn't looking to be a pastor. I just was helping out and speaking as asked. And, and I remember when it came down to having to make a decision, I remember I called a friend of mine. He's a pastor now at a Gateway Church in Texas named Brad Stahl. He's the one that pulled me in and developed me in leadership and as a leader and really taught me a lot. And I called him, and I told him what was going on. And he said, you know, if I were you, Roy, I'd, I'd just hang up with me and get alone with him. And I wouldn't call anybody else. And I wouldn't ask anybody else's opinion. You see, because I could tell you a bunch of earthly reasons that I think you would do well as a pastor, but none of those earthly reasons will matter when you face the hard times you're going to face if you pastor. But a word from him will. He said, you need to know that this is what he's called you to so that when the storm comes, you can go to him and say, this is what you called me to do. What are we going to do? And there's no pressure on you because you didn't start it. You don't have to maintain it. So I did. And he did. And he has. And he will. I believe that. But I promise you the temptation is there sometimes to freak out and want to go and wake him up and get another word. I mean, just being honest, like, I know that doesn't happen to you guys, but I sometimes <laughs> find myself in a position where I'm, I'm tempted slightly to go wake him up and start pointing out the storm as if he doesn't know about the storm and telling him why he should be freaked out and accusing him of not caring and also, oh, by the way, we're going to die. The only way I could get there is if I lose sight of the fact that he's the one that called me to get in the boat to begin with. I'm only in this boat because he told me to get in it. I'm only sailing in the direction that I'm sailing because he told me the direction to go. He said, let us go over there. So what did he give them? He gave them direction, but also within that direction was the ability to be able to do the thing he called them to do. And all they had to do was continue to live by his word rather than by what they saw. This is why it's so important that we understand and we hear the word of the Lord and understand the word of God to us when the word of God comes. Because when we have a word from God, we can actually look through that lens at the storm rather than interpreting his word through the lens of the storm. See, if you're not anchored and you're not sure of what God said to you when a storm comes, you're tempted to start weighing the word in light of the storm and going, well, if God said, then how come? If God loves me, then how come? If you're anchored in the fact that he loves you and you're anchored in the fact you're doing what he's called you to do, when a storm comes, you go, God, this is what you called me to do, so what's up with this? Rather than, God, this is what's going on, so what's up with you? Because in those times, who we put our faith in, we make accusation against the other. They put their faith in the storm's ability to drown them, and so they made accusation of Jesus. Don't you care that we're going to die? The one that we have put our faith in will defend. The one that we haven't and that we don't trust will make accusation against. And it's crazy when the one we're accusing is the one who created us and gave us the breath that we use to accuse. <laughs> yeah, it's the truth. 
See, we don't preach this stuff so that people will leave here feeling condemned. We preach this because if he called us to live this way, then that means there's a grace upon us to actually live that way. It's to call us into who we were created to be, people who live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father, not by bread alone. Jesus is a man when he's walking on the earth. He walks, he is God, but he walks as a man. He has to, and I can prove it to you because he's asleep in the boat and God never slumbers. So Jesus in his humanity is sleeping in the boat. Not God. Well, either the Bible's true or it's not. And if God doesn't slumber, then that means Jesus can't sleep if he's only God. But if he's fully God yet fully man, in his humanity, he's asleep. That's what it means when it says for a time he made himself a little lower than the angels. A little lower than the angels would mean humanity, human beings. And so he comes and he lives this stuff and he feels what we feel so that he can actually give us an example so when he gets tempted he gets led by god out into the lord says he was led by the spirit of god out into the lord to be tempted of the devil and he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights why was he in the desert because god said after 40 days why is he fasting 40 days god called him to If God called him to a 40-day fast, that means there's a grace on his life and an ability for him to fast for 40 days. That's the only reason he can, is because along with the assignment comes the ability. That's why you try to do things just to be spiritual and just to look holy, and there's no grace on it, and you'll wear yourself out really fast. But when he's called you into it, even good things will wear you out if it's not what he's called you to. But if it's something he's called you to, you can do it, and there's an ease in that. That's why Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's not that he doesn't ask you to do things that are hard. It's that when you're doing what he's called you to do, he's doing it with you, and the burden's not yours. That's why you're not burning out. That's why we have no intention here of of burning out, of of shining brightly for a moment like a flash in the pan and then disappearing and burning out and being another story of somebody who everybody thought this about. We don't want that to be the story of our church, of the people in our church. We want to be people who shine brighter and brighter as we become more and more like him. And when you find me in 40 years, I'm going to be shining brighter than I am now because he's transforming me from glory to glory into the image of his son, and I'm more in love then than uh, than I am today. My wife and I have been married for 18 years. I love telling this to couples that are getting married that are engaged when we do marriage counseling. I tell them, marriage apart from relationship with Jesus is the greatest thing on earth. And I love, I genuinely love my wife and have a greater relationship with her today than I did the day that we got married. I've grown to love her more. Why? Because I've discovered more about her to love. Every time I discover something new about her, I have one more reason to love her. Every time I discover something new about God, every time I see a new part of who he is, every time he is something for me that he has never been, that has never needed him to be before, I find a new reason to fall in love all over again. That's why he compares our relationship with him as a bride to a bridegroom, because that's the way it's supposed to be. You're supposed to grow in your love, not fall in love. Yeah, because if you fell in, you could fall out. Where are we at? Did we get to the storm? Yeah, we got to the storm. That's why it's so important. You know, in, in Matthew ten forty one, it says, He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. God can be speaking to you, but if you don't actually receive it as God's word to you, it doesn't bring the blessing of receiving it as God's word. That's why it's important for a sheep to hear his voice and know his voice. So that when he speaks, it doesn't matter who he speaks through. Why why, why do we feel like we should get to choose who he speaks through? 
When did he ever give people the right to do that? When did he ever tell people, like, hey, guys, you get to choose how you receive wisdom? We, we sometimes get offended with the person, and we get so offended with them that we can't even hear what they're saying to us, and it's God speaking through them. We need to learn to humble ourselves and not be so quick to rush to judgment about the person speaking the message and listen to hear if it's actually the voice of the shepherd. Because he could speak through a donkey. So Jesus is asleep, they wake him up, and they ask him the question that reveals their heart. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The the actual original translation of that, he says, how is it? that you don't have faith. It's a question of why don't you have something that you should have? Why did he have the right to question their lack of faith? Because he spoke, and faith come by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And had they heard him as God, it would have created a faith inside of them that would have allowed them to not panic and wake him up and think they were dying. Would they have calmed the storm or would they have went to sleep with Jesus? I don't know, but they wouldn't have thought that they were going to die. They would have done what they were required to do in the moment. You know, I, I, sometimes I thought like faith looked like, well, they woke him up. You can do the same thing, but it's the heart behind it that actually matters. Praying to him because you think you're going to die when he called you to do the thing that you're doing is different than going to him and saying, Jesus, what are we supposed to do here? It has to be that way. Why? Well, you think about it. When John the Baptist gets prophesied that he's coming, his father doesn't believe it can happen and asks God for proof. And he becomes mute. Why? I think God wanted him to be quiet so he didn't screw it up even worse. Think, uh, think about it. Sometimes the things that we speak in doubt can actually cause things to change. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. So he causes him to be mute. But Mary asks him, how can this happen? And he doesn't cause her to be mute, and he actually answers her. One person gets silenced, the other gets answered. Why? It was the heart behind the question that mattered. It was the reason he was asking. One was saying, I'm too old, I can't have, yeah, right. The other one was saying, okay, I I believe you, but I just don't understand how this is going to happen. He's okay with you saying, Lord, I, I believe you, I'm just not sure how this is going to happen. He's okay with, I believe, help my unbelief. He's okay with that. What he didn't like was the fact that this person was asking him out of unbelief and doubt. Sometimes he'd rather you say nothing than voice your unbelief. Well, he obviously would rather, in this case, he would obviously rather him say nothing than voice his unbelief because he took his ability to voice his unbelief away. I'm just saying, maybe it'd be better for us to do that than to force him. But this is something I'd never, I'd never seen with this passage. Because I, I've often had this question of, of ministering to people. And, and I've asked God, like, God, how, 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 did, how do we minister? And, and I, I was reading this story, and I felt like he spoke to me and, sh- and just highlighted this to me and gave me an answer. And I feel so settled in my heart in it. 
And, uh, and I called a friend, and we were talking through it, and he was like, yeah, yeah, that, that's, that sounds right. I always like to bounce things off other people that you know are seeking the Lord and that are full of wisdom, you know? It's a, that's how iron sharpens iron. Iron doesn't sharpen iron by meaning like you fight with each other and sparks fly. <laughs> like, how can we fight if we're both laid down our lives to love each other? It just means two people of the same material, two people with the same spirit inside of them can actually sharpen each other. For what does light have to do with darkness? For darkness have to do with light. What does God have to do with Baal? In other words, when you have two people that are filled with the same spirit, they can actually sharpen each other because they're alike. And so we, I sharpen myself with friends. And, I, and, 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 and this is something I saw was the first thing that Jesus does when they wake him up and say, don't you care that we are perishing, is he calms the storm. He ministers to the thing that's making them afraid. And he takes it away, and he erases their ability to fear and believe that they're going to die. But he doesn't stop there. He then challenges them into a place of saying, listen, I'll minister to the thing you're afraid of, but I'm also going to challenge you. You don't need to be afraid of that. See, if we do one or the other only, we, leave pe- we do a disservice to people. If all we do is challenge people of why they're not okay when, some- when they're facing a storm, then, then they may know that, that you think there's a way they could not be okay, but they're so freaked out by the storm, they don't even hear what you're saying. Notice he first calms the thing that they're dealing with so that their mind can actually clear and they can be calm and they can hear him when he speaks. But if all he does is calm the storm, then they become people who are addicted to ministry and they're constantly coming to the man of God whenever there's a storm in their life. And he doesn't want it to be one or the other. He wants it to be both. He wants to deal with and minister to the storm that's causing you to freak out and think you're going to die, but then he also wants to challenge you into a higher place to where it's like, you know what, the next time you're in this storm, instead of freaking out and thinking that you need to run to me to be ministered to, you actually understand there's something in you that makes you oblivious and impervious to the storm. And you could sleep like me in the middle of it. That's where we have to be. We have to be people that can minister to a need, but also challenge people to a place where they don't need to be ministered to in that place. And if all we do is one, we create a bunch of ministry-addicted people that are constantly having to run every single time they face something to somebody else for another word, another prayer, another deliverance, another whatever it is. But if we only do this, we never help people get out of where they're at so that they can actually think straight and see straight. They were so consumed with the storm that Jesus understood, there's something I want to say to them, but I need to deal with what's troubling their heart first. And once I've done that, but here's the thing. This is the amazing thing about it. You notice there wasn't a 17-month process from one to the other. He didn't calm the storm and say, in a couple years, I'll come and tell you the way that you can live oblivious to that. He deals with one and then moves right into the other. And you notice he didn't stop in between and say, is it okay now if I talk to you straight? Why? Because he's the Lord. And he believes that if he speaks and we listen, there's something inside of us that will change to the point where the next time the storm comes. He believes that if they actually put their faith in him, they can get to a place where they're so, not only do they not care about the storm, they welcome the storm. I'll close that with this far. Think about this. He talks to the disciples. 
And, and <laughs> that was my subtle cue to my wife to come up and play keys. <laughs> Pat, Patty's playing for the first time since February of 2018. Y'all, I'm serious. Last night, I was sitting on my couch like I do every Saturday night, gathering my thoughts, and then I didn't end up speaking what I thought I was going to speak this morning, but I was gathering thoughts and just writing out some stuff and doing some reading, and all of a sudden, from downstairs in the basement, I heard the sound of music coming up the stairs, and Patty was down there practicing for the next morning, and she hadn't done that since about a month before Leah's car accident, and I just was so overcome with thankfulness for the goodness of God that, that, that though a storm comes... The ability to live and to return to who we are before the storm came is always there. And that the storm may cause things to change for a moment, but it doesn't cause things to change for a lifetime. Now, I was just so overcome with that and so thankful for that. And so, so you just think about the disciples. At one point, when, when they're in the middle of a storm, they run to Jesus and they say to him, you gotta, you gotta, don't you care that we're dying? They're convinced they're going to die, even though the word is, let's go to the other side. They think they're going to die, and so they wake Jesus up, and Jesus has to minister to the storm, make the storm go away. But a while later, the disciples are preaching the gospel, and they get snatched up, and they get beaten, and they get told that they're going to be killed if they continue to preach the gospel. And what do they do? They get alone in a room, and they say, God, continue to fill us with all boldness that we might do the thing that is causing us to be threatened with death. This group of men that went from people who, when they saw a storm, thought it meant God didn't care and they were going to die, to a group of men when they were threatened with death that prayed that God would continue to fill them with boldness to do the very thing that they were being threatened to be killed for doing. Why? Because now they're living by every word that proceedeth from his mouth. And when he said, go into all the world and make disciples, there was not only a commissioning and a direction, there was an ability within that for them to go and do the thing he called them to do. And so this time when they faced a storm, rather than thinking it meant God didn't care, they got alone with him and said, God, we know that you care, so we're asking, would you give us more so we can continue to do what you've called us to do? And it wasn't that far apart from one to the other. I'm not saying storms aren't real. Trust me. They're real. He's realer. They're true. He's truer. They're powerful. He's more powerful. I'm I'm saying this. If we feel like we're in the middle of a storm and we're even start having the thoughts of God doesn't care or doesn't know. Because this is what they're saying to him. They wake him up. Why? Because they assume he doesn't know. Maybe he knew the storm was going to come. Maybe he trusted the word that he spoke to them. So much so that he wasn't concerned with the storm because they had a word. Sometimes we're asking God for more and more and more, and he's asking us just to believe what he's already given us. That's why he said in in Peter, he says, all things pertaining to life and godliness have been given to you through the knowledge of his son. Freely given to you. If we get to a place where we're threatened, where we're tempted to say, God either doesn't know or he doesn't care, we should probably just stop and wait for a minute and ask ourselves, wait a minute, why am I here? Am I here because I'm following the voice of the Lord? If I am, then he knows where I am and he cares. If I'm not, and I'm here because I got myself here, I should probably repent and return back to where he's called me to. That way, when the storm comes, I can anchor in his word rather than my own abilities. 
Because a storm when we're just a few feet offshore isn't that big a deal, but a storm when you're four miles offshore, oh, that's a big deal. That's when you need a word. I said this last week, but I had this thought. What, what if the storm was actually something that came to propel them? It actually was going to get them there faster if they would have just trusted him and not asked him to stop the storm, but actually trusted him in the middle of it. Because sometimes he'll minister to what we, where we're at, even though it's not the best thing. If you don't believe that, look at his relationship with the children of Israel. They cry out for meat, and he says, you don't need meat, and they cry out for meat, and so he gives them meat, and they eat it to their own destruction. They ask for a king, and he says, tell them, they don't want a king. Trust me. They say, we want a king. We want to be like everybody else. And he says, okay, I'll give you a king, but it's not going to go well for you. But I'll give you the thing you're asking for, even though the thing that I gave you, the prophets, were better. Because if you're in a boat and you've got sails, storms bring wind. And if the enemy can't change God's course for your life, then that means the wind wasn't blowing them in the wrong direction. The wind had to be blowing them in the right direction just was bringing some water into the boat, which caused fear. What if they would have just said, you know, I, I don't even know how this works. But I know that I am where I am because he called me to be here. And I know that he said, let's go to the other side. And I know that he's not concerned, so neither will I. I'm just going to go get up in the stern of the boat with him and go to sleep. And maybe in just a few hours, they'd have been on the other side because the wind of the storm would have pushed them to where God called them to be. Because you know what happens when the storm calms? There's no wind. It says it was completely calm. How does a boat move when it's completely calm? By your effort. And you'll still get there. just won't be as fast. And it might require a little bit more of you than if you would have just trusted him from the beginning. So, Father, I thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you that, that, that you're a God who cares so much about us that you will speak to the storm, but then you'll always call us higher. That you won't leave us without the answer so that the next time the storm comes, we're not terrified and thinking that you don't care. I pray that we would be that way with each other, God. That we would love each other and we would speak to the thing that's troubling each other's hearts, God, but, but we would always challenge and call each other into that higher place of saying there's more. You can trust him more. You can know him more. You can become more like him. There's a place in him where that storm doesn't make you freak out and think you're going to die. And even if you don't understand how it happens, you trust the one who does. God, let us be those people. Let us anchor in your word over life. God, let us be people that know your voice when you speak and that actually put faith in what you've said. God, let us be a people that would see a storm through the lens of what you've said rather than judging what you've said through the lens of the storm. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>